I'd like to talk to you today about Joseph. Um, Joseph is, there's just not a lot in the scripture about Joseph. And yet he was very important in the life of Christ, in the life of Mary. The story of him is sparse at best. Biblical mentions of his name are minimal. He's not mentioned at all in the 13 epistles that Paul wrote. Five times his name is mentioned in Luke and twice in John, once by his disciples and once by uh, the crowd, referring to Christ as being Joseph's son. Matthew has the most mentions of Joseph, beginning with the genealogy linking him with David, and then he's mentioned as Mary's betrothed and the one to whom the angel appeared a number of times, first can comforting him that he should not be afraid and he should not divorce Mary because uh, her child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And an angel appeared again, warning Joseph to flee to Egypt for the child's safety. We'll get into some of this. And again, the angel told him, appeared to him again in Egypt and told him it's time to go home. Uh, Those that wanted to harm the child are dead. But really, there's not a lot of background written about Joseph. But there are a number of things that we can learn from his life. Reading between the lines. And I think possibly the greatest thing that we can learn from Joseph is that in God's world, there are no little people. There are no little people. Now, I know we all know some who are very proud and arrogant. Uh, There are those people around. But I'd say for the most part, People have deep insecurities. Everybody's worried that everybody else is going to find out who we really are. And that's why I love Christ and I love what he's done in my life because he's taken that fear away. He really has. I am what I am by the grace of God. And um, that is a wonderful thing. That's part of salvation. You know, we often think of salvation as being forgiven for all of our sins. That's true. But there's also being forgiven and having that guilt erased. There's having a clean conscience washed by the blood of Christ. All these things are part of salvation. Uh, I'm, I'm on a bit of a binge here just thinking about how much we flatten out our Christianity and it becomes traditional. It becomes uneventful and unspectacular and really impractical for our everyday lives. It's something we talk about on Christmas and, you know, in church on Sunday, and that's awful. That's awful because we're to be walking with the Spirit of God moment by moment, and life with Christ should be a great adventure. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit about Joseph and how he teaches us that in God's world there are no little people. So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, but we'll be going other places as well, but you can turn there if you would. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child. 
by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly, which basically means he was going to divorce her. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open up our understanding to the life of Joseph and just how important he was in your plan, and Lord, that you might impress upon us that though we feel little, insignificant, quite obscure in the overall plan of things, that there are no little people in your world. And Father, as we walk under the control of your Spirit, you can do incredible things through our lives. Father, let it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing that I want to point out to you is that Joseph was a righteous man. It says that uh, very clearly right at the beginning that Joseph was a righteous man. As chaste as Mary was, so Joseph was righteous. And this is a characteristic that other, it overshadows the life of Joseph. And Matthew makes sure that he lets us know early on that Joseph was a righteous man. All to the following descriptions of Joseph, his thoughts, his turmoil, his calling through the vision, and his response to all of this, overshadowed by this one virtue, Joseph was righteous. To be righteous means to be right with God. To be right with God doesn't mean that you have a halo over your head. Doesn't mean that you are a super saint. It just means that you're right with God. To do the right thing in every circumstance according to God's revealed will. Well, Joseph was a common man. He is a carpenter, we understand, by trade. But he was a young man. His righteousness is spoken of in the context of his predicament. And that's important to understand as well. The predicament that Joseph found himself in the verses that we read, it's interesting that Matthew, God, using Matthew, tells us he was righteous. You see, you take this one thought and you apply it to your life. This is how we take God's word and apply it to our lives, folks. You take that idea that Joseph was a righteous man in his predicament and you think, what predicament do I find myself in? Can I be righteous 
like Joseph was in his predicament. Ask yourself, am I righteous? Am I right with God? Am I acting in accordance with his revealed will for me in this situation? Am I responding the way God would have me to respond to this predicament? Well, Joseph was, and we'll see that as we continue on through this. The woman he was about to be married to, his betrothed, was found to be with child. That was his predicament. And the text goes on to explain for the readers so that uh, it's clear to everyone that this child was by the Holy Spirit. But Joseph didn't know that. (laughs) Initially, Joseph did not know that. And that's important that we understand that Joseph was righteous in his predicament. He wanted to know what he was supposed to do, what would God have him do in that kind of a situation. He, He went to the synagogue. He went to worship. He offered sacrifice. He lived according to the law of God. He had studied hard, and he had become a carpenter. And he was a good man. And now he looked to the next step in his progress to being a married man, a man of marriage. Often when they were betrothed, uh, what the man would do is he would begin to build onto his father's house uh, a room that he and his young wife would live in, and they'd live with their parents for a while. And that was a, a form of social control in the sense of helping the young married couple uh, become acquainted with one another and married life. We don't read about Joseph doing that, but I assume that that's probably what he was doing. And in the context of all that, he was looking forward to a long life of marriage with Mary and children and everything, and and then his betrothed was found to be with child. The the timeline kind of goes like this. You might want to just get this in your mind so you understand, because it's a little bit disparate when we read in the Gospels. So first, Joseph and Mary are betrothed. Okay, they're engaged. It's as good as marriage, okay, in Jewish custom. It's as good as marriage. It's just that they didn't consummate the marriage with the act of marriage until they were actually formally married, which was usually nine months to a year. And the purpose of that was to check fidelity and, and to make sure that the couple were together. So they're betrothed. Secondly, an angel comes to Mary and makes the startling announcement that she will be uh, the bearer of Messiah. And then in the context of that announcement, the angel mentions, even as it is with Elizabeth, your relative, who's way past the age of bearing children, uh, but she's going to have a child. And Mary hears that name and all this information, and eventually she comes to the point, be it unto your Servant, as you will, Lord. She yields herself to the Lord. But immediately she gets away from that vision of that angel, and she goes immediately, suddenly, in haste, to her older relative, Elizabeth. And she stayed there three months. Well, Joseph remained in Nazareth. I imagine building the house (laughs) and wondering what possessed Mary to just up and go to Elizabeth. We don't hear that he knew anything about anything. She didn't tell him about the angel 
or anything like that. So the next thing that we have is Mary coming back after three months. Now, that was ex- exceptionally comforting time for Mary, those three months, because Elizabeth was also experiencing a miracle, and uh, that baby was uh, announced to her husband uh, by an angel. And so, you know, the two women were able to really fellowship and have a good time encouraging one another in the Lord, I'm sure. But she returns after three months. She returns to Nazareth and to Joseph, but guess what? Three months is a little bit of time, right? Out of the nine, and Mary's showing, and she's found to be with child. Wow. Next thing that comes up is Joseph's contemplating what to do with his predicament. And he decides rather than divorce her publicly, he'll put her away quietly, divorce her quietly. And then the next thing that takes place is Joseph, as he's thinking of that, an angel appears to him and tells him the situation with Mary is of God, and you should take her and marry her. Don't be afraid to marry her, and don't be afraid of the shame, but take her to be your wife. And when the baby is born, name him Jesus, because he will save his people from sin. We just read that. And so Joseph takes Mary to be his wife. That's the next thing. But he keeps her chaste until Jesus is born. The next thing we hear about, the young couple is going to Jerusalem for the birth of Jesus. And after that, 40 days later, they're in a temple, and that's where you read about Anna and uh, Simeon. And then they return to Nazareth. And I personally believe, through reading the Scriptures and studying the Scriptures, it was probably about two years later that the men from the Orient visited her, the Magi. And they came and visited uh, Jesus, and they brought gifts to him. And uh, that's when the angel came and warned them to flee to Egypt because Herod had heard about it and wanted to kill the children and did kill many children, two years and younger. And that's why I believe... It was two years later after Jesus was born. And they flee to Egypt using the funds of those gifts from those wise men. It's, it's a compact little story. It's very interesting how it all plays out. So I believe that the revelation of Mary's condition came after her three months with Elizabeth. It seems quite obvious. After Gabriel's announcement and finding out that her cousin Elizabeth is a barren woman, well past the childbearing age, married to Zechariah, the priest. She was with child. Mary hurried away from Nazareth to go to Elizabeth, and that was a warm and joyful and comforting and affirming time for her. But that angel, blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me, Elizabeth said. Amazing. Somehow Elizabeth knew all about Mary, all about her. She blessed her and accepted her, and Mary was safe, at least for a time. But she had to return to Nazareth, and when she did, she would be showing, as I said, found to be with child. The betrothal, approximately nine months, people would know. People would know. This, this isn't a metropolis, Nazareth. 
it's probably smaller than Hudson. Okay? And everybody knew everybody. And Mary was pregnant. And they all knew. That's a predicament, people. That's, that's a scandal. That's a tragedy. I truly believe that when Mary returned from her visit, everybody found out and Joseph's life went up in smoke. Whatever he was planning, whatever his dream was, and I believe he loved Mary. Mary was a wonderful woman. We see that by the things said about her and the way she responded to the angel. A catch. And yet she is found with child. And that's the context that we read in Joseph, her husband, verse 19, was a righteous man. He desired to live every aspect of his life as a person who honored and followed the will of God. And breaking the vow of marriage was not God's will. But Mary was found to be with child, so he considered his options. And he thought, number one, I can make a public spectacle of Mary and divorce her. That would protect his own honor because he would say, I had nothing to do with this, and I'm done with her. And that would protect his name. No loss of face there. Um, not good for Mary. There is a distinct possibility that Mary could be stoned according to Deuteronomy 22, 20 through 24. But such practice was not really found occurring during this time in Israel's history. So if Joseph exposed her as unfaithful and divorced her publicly, she would probably return to her family. But her family may not receive her And if that was the case, then she would be on the streets with an illegitimate child, probably in prostitution to take care of herself. There were no safety nets like welfare to take care of women like this at that time. So that was one option. Uh, He didn't, I'm sure he considered many of these possible outcomes, and he decided no, he'd put her away secretly. That's the second option he thought of. You look at the love for this young woman. It was evident that she was pregnant, and it seems clear that she had told she had not told him about the angel's announcement, and then she returned from her three-month trip. Joseph's mind raced with the contradictions of the situation. Mary was a holy girl, pure and chaste, and even the law allowed and gave an illustration of a betrothed girl defiled in the field with no one around. It allowed for her to have called out and refused the defilement, but had become overwhelmed by the power of a man. Allowing if she called out, she was to be not punished. That's what it says in Deuteronomy 22. And so Joseph took the gentle and kind-hearted way out in dealing with his Mary His righteousness is displayed in that he chose to obey God rather than the dictates of his heart. But God had a third way, an alternative. And God often does that. You know, we kind of wear ourselves out before we discover God's third way. (laughs) We think, oh, everything's binary for us, right? We could do this or we could do that. If we do this, these are the results. If we do that, these are the results. I actually hear people actually write pro and con lists. I just kind of process stuff intuitively. But, uh, you know, I'm sure that 
you've experienced that when you have a decision to make. But God often has a third alternative. And this never entered into Joseph's mind. And it's often the way it is in a Christ. We don't stop and pray and lay the whole thing out before the Lord and then quietly wait on him for direction. We move in one of those pros or you know, the, the best way that we think it'll work out. Suffering when doing what is right. First Peter 2.20 tells us that when we do what is right and suffer for it, and if we patiently endure it, we will be graced by God. We will be enabled by God to go through with what he has for us. Well, Joseph was working on his choice, working it out in his heart and trying to go to sleep. He brought those thoughts into him, his sleep, and the angel appeared to him at that time. But he suffered first. Can you imagine the excruciating pain that man went through from the time she returned from Elizabeth's house until the time that the angel, it doesn't tell us how long that was. So in verses 20 through 23, We read, but when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And the first thing I want you to understand about this is is his calling, Joseph's calling by God, was brought to him by an angel. Just like Mary's, uh, the announcement that she'd be the mother of Jesus was brought to her by an angel, uh, Joseph's calling to be the earthly father of Jesus and the earthly husband of Mary was brought to him by an angel. And the angel appeared and disclosed the plan that God had for Joseph's life. He wanted to bless Joseph just as he wanted to bless Mary. With God in your life, there is purpose. This is another thing that salvation brings that isn't often talked about. I think that all the drug usage, fentanyl, and all the alcoholism, and all the -the over-the-top sexual perversions that are around us everywhere in our culture right now is because people are living without purpose. They're acting out their distress in life and trying to cover over or self-medicate so that they don't have to think that they're living without purpose in their lives. This is another benefit of salvation is there is purpose in life, and God revealed to Joseph what his plan was for him and his purpose for him. His calling was a blessing. God had chosen Joseph to be the earthly father of Jesus, and God was his true father, for Jesus is indeed the son of God. But Joseph would be known as his earthly father. What a privilege. What a blessing. But what a burden. And what suffering Joseph would have to endure to receive that blessing. Can you imagine? I I don't know if you've ever lived in a small community. I I lived in a face-to-face culture for almost 20 years. There was nothing that happened. They knew how many times we got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. I'm not kidding you. This was in a tribal area, and, and, and they knew every time that we would discipline our children. And they'd say, oh, Jonda was bad. That was Joe's name. Or, oh, Amanda was bad. We used to make them run around the house. When they had too much energy, Mary schooled them at home. And we'd make them run around the house 10 times, 10 laps, right? To just get the energy off, kind of like recess. 
and the tribal people would stand around and count. One, two, three. They just knew everything about us. There are no secrets. Well, that's definitely the way it was with Nazareth. And now, not only was she found with child, but guess what? He marries her. (laughs) So what are they thinking? It's his. Bad Joseph. Bad Mary. They probably were just put off to the side in that community. Think of these implications, people. What a blessing, but what a burden. Many today want blessings, but they're not willing to patiently endure the suffering that often precede and tend to accompany such blessings. Don't be discouraged if in your life you find that your plans are not able to be fulfilled, at least presently, or you're discredited or humiliated because it's in that very situation that God desires to take away the constant temptation to dictate our own terms to him, to control our own lives. He desires to discipline us or raise us up to a greater trust and confidence in him and to enlarge our capacity for blessing by strengthening us as we go through severe suffering. God uses suffering in our lives. We wouldn't pay a nickel for it, but after it's over, we wouldn't trade it for a million dollars. The things that we learn by the things which we suffer when he gets a hold of us. This seeming paradox is the divine principle in spiritual growth, and it's, it's everywhere evident in the lives of Mary and now Joseph. In their calling, they were blessed beyond their greatest dreams. For a young Jewish girl to be the mother of Messiah was the dream of every young Jewish girl, and every Jewish boy would love to be Messiah. They named a lot of their kids Jesus. Jesus was not an uncommon name. But it all showed that Israel had a remnant that was waiting for Messiah, and they anticipated him coming. But not only was his calling a blessing, his calling included great assurance. The angel addressed him, son of David. Boom. That feeling very, very small and insignificant and obscure was suddenly lifted when the angel said, Joseph, son of David. He was from royalty, okay? He was in the line of King David, but he was just a carpenter living a peasant life. And the angel said, David, or Joseph, son of David. That's amazing. And how encouraging. It's kind of like when Gabriel addressed Mary as favored one, blessed of God. And he says to him, don't be afraid. Take Mary as your wife. Well, right, boom, nail on the head. Right where he was most concerned, the angel addressed. He says, don't be afraid. Take Mary as your wife. Don't you think in all of this pondering, Joseph wanted to continue on and to make Mary his wife if there was any possible way? 
and her character up to this point was flawless. He loved her deeply. Don't hesitate to do what your heart says to do, Joseph. You will not be violating the law of God. In fact, you will be doing exactly what God desires of you. Why? Because this is all of God. The very structure of the verse is passive, and it shows that God is behind this and that Mary has not done anything wrong or worthy of divorce. The child and his conception was the doing of God by the Holy Spirit. And that protects Mary, but it also protects the doctrine of the virgin birth, which is all the way through this passage and the the, the story of Jesus and his birth. There's a protection of that virgin birth. Explicit information assured Joseph Verse 21 through 23, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall all the way through. And it's just very, very intricate and detailed information to assure Joseph. He would indeed accomplish God's promise and in truth save his people from their sins. The, angels reminded, the angel reminded Joseph of the prophecy from Isaiah. And so God in his mercy met Joseph right at the point of his doubts and fears and assured him that he could marry the girl that he loved. The Messiah has finally come into the world sent by God to save. Now, Joseph was a righteous man. Joseph was a comforted man by God through that angel. But he's also an obedient man. And this is where his human responsibility comes in. And I want you to understand this. This is the crux of the whole story. How did Joseph respond to the incredible news that the angel brought to him? It was up to him. He could have said, nope, it's too heavy. This can't be right. God would never do this. How does this work? This, I, I, I can't do it. I mean... I know Mrs. So-and-so, and I know Mr. So-and-so, and they're just going to take this to the mat. I'm going to be dirt. I won't even be able, nobody will bring him anything for me to do as a carpenter. He could have done that. He didn't. He did as the angel instructed. It says he arose from his sleep and took Mary as his wife. Boom. It's kind of like Abraham, right? Take your son, your only son, and go to a place that I will show you. And Abraham woke up, got the firewood, got his son, and he and his servants and his son went to be sacrificed. Obedience. What a dream. He could have thought, that's too much for me to handle. Costs too high. The idea is too lofty possibility behind it's beyond my mind to comprehend i can't do this but we see his response as a response of a heart that loves god believes and trusts him even in the face of terrible suffering unwavering and steadfast he continues to obey now here's the thing when you come into a predicament in your life that is difficult and very hard loss of a job okay maybe your marriage breaks up and you don't want it to break up, but it breaks up. Maybe somebody's unfaithful, disloyal to you. When you come into those kind of things, you remain steadfast, 
obedient, walking in the same path with God as though nothing had happened, even though you're bearing the burden of that grief. That's righteousness with God. That's walking in the right way with God. And in the end, you will see things level out. Now, I've lived long enough to see this happen in multiple lives, including my own, because I've been disappointed many times in my life. In fact, going to the Taliabo people was a great disappointment to me. (laughs) I wanted to go someplace else. I had made plans to go someplace else. A tribe that I had seen when I did survey, and it was the coolest tribe in the world. I really wanted to go to this tribe. They wore headbands and wrapped their long hair, which they never cut, into a red headband that just kind of came up, and they had kings. They had kings in the tribe. I want to go to that tribe. It was on the island of Saram. And God said, nope, I want you to go to Taliabo. Okay, okay. I was obedient, but I was disappointed. And look what God did in Taliabo. Do you know what happened to those people that had kings and the red headbands and everything? They rejected the missionaries that went there, and to date, they don't have the gospel. Wow. Retrospect, right? A little bit of age really helps. Really helps. And it helps to prepare you for disappointment. And my little bit of age and my little bit of disappointment in my life, I hope, is helping you in the future to face disappointment, or maybe you're facing it today. But Joseph did as the angel commanded him. He got up from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife. Now, just a couple of thoughts. Joseph was obedient to the command. Even in the face of certain ridicule, shame, gossip, Joseph obeyed God. Secondly, the angel's message is said to here to have been a command. A command. Um, those aren't things that you'd go, well, I might want to do that. Oh, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I won't do that. Commands are to be either obeyed or disobeyed, very binary. But Joseph obeyed. He got the two main points of the angel's message to him. He understood the momentous thing that God was doing through his simple, humble life because we read in verse 25 that Joseph kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. He believed in the virgin birth, (laughs) so much so he didn't touch Mary until she gave birth to Jesus. So after that time, He understood exactly what the angel was saying from Isaiah. And secondly, the child in Mary's womb was Messiah. He understood that too. In the second act of obedience to the angel's command, he named the boy Jesus. He did exactly what the angel told him to do. Jesus means that he would save his people. Emmanuel means God is with us. In obedience to God's revealed will, he named the baby Jesus. So in summary, I just want to draw three things to your attention. There are no little people in the sight of God. Can you imagine? Joseph was just a common carpenter. Common guy. Kind of like us, right? And God used him greatly. He was a little bit older than Mary, 
that was a custom of that time, but he's still quite young. Did have royal lineage, but he's living like a peasant. (laughs) Just an ordinary guy. He was not great. He was not even the head of the Carpenters Guild. The truth is, we know so little about him. The Bible doesn't even talk about him much. That's how little he was. But not in God's plan. There are no little people in God's plan. And if we understand that, then there's hope for everyone when it comes to God. Everyone. I often tell youth groups when I talk to youth groups about the Taliabo and going to be a missionary to those people that you haven't got the slightest clue what God will do with you if you just keep saying yes to him. That's all. It's very simple. Just yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I grew up on the east side. I always point to right over here. My wife was born and lived in a house two blocks from here. Okay? Little people. Very, very little people. We went to Johnson High School. <sighs> Got saved when I was 19. I said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Pretty soon I find myself on the other side of the world preaching the gospel to an unreached people group who marvelously received the word and have now planted seven other churches by themselves without missionaries. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Then he challenges me to plant a church in St. Paul. In St. Paul, my backyard. You know how fearful I am some of my old friends are going to walk through those doors? But I think most of them have died. To be honest with you, they lived hard lives. Just say, yes, Lord, and you will be amazed what he'll do with your life. There's hope for everyone. What about us? Waiting on God, even when it hurts, stay in that marriage and work through. Do your part. You be righteous with God in your marriage. If you're a woman, you do the responsibilities of a wife towards that husband and your children and the family. If you're a man, you do what God expects you to do as a man in that, in that family, in that relationship. If God allows things to disintegrate apart, you continue to walk with God. We have people like that in our church. Life's hard. It's very hard, but God is so good. Now, this is true because the Bible teaches us that God looks on the heart, not the externals. God looks for a willing and a flexible and an obedient heart that will follow his will no matter what the cost. God delights to use weak, simple, ordinary people to put to shame the strong and confuse the wise. There's hope for the least of us when we trust him fully and give ourselves to him. Thirdly and lastly, If you want to be greatly blessed of God, you must open up your life to suffer greatly for him. You have to be willing to suffer. You can't be wanting everything to go peachy. Because it won't. Even though you're following God closely, it won't. It seems that our blessings from God are often in direct proportion to our suffering before he blesses. And as we willingly suffer, God strengthens our inner person with enabling grace. And the blessing of that strength in that suffering is what Paul, I believe, caused Paul to say, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. 
when we're on the mat, almost ready to say uncle, but we keep on saying, I trust you, I'm trusting you, we're weak. But that's when God's strength is strongest. It's just the opposite of what the world tells us. The world screams at us that you've got to be strong, you've got to be self-reliant, independent, aggressive, right? Winning through intimidation. That's what the world teaches us. You have to take for yourself or you'll end up empty and alone. But God's way shows that it is only the ones who are willingly accepting the trouble and the scorn, those willing to be called his disciples, that in suffering experiences the grace it takes to walk with God through the test. And he looks for a heart that is completely abandoned to him, even in the suffering. Like Job, in Job thirteen fifteen, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Yet will I trust him. That's the hard attitude we have to have. So as we go forward in this new year, may we examine our own hearts and, and may we ask God to point out the areas that are resistant to his will. Because all of us have them. <laughs> there are those little areas that we don't talk a lot about, but we tenaciously hold on to them. Those areas of control in our life, whatever they may be, health, wealth, children, spouse, those things that we're not willing to take our hands off of. Maybe in 2022, be willing to take your hands off them and let God greatly use you. He desires to bless us. And sometimes we prevent that because we hold too tightly on the things he wants us to yield to him. When we do, he'll glorify himself through our lives and we'll enjoy the richness of his presence and of his blessing. That's my prayer for you in 2022. So let's pray and we'll go to communion. Father, Thank you, Lord, for the life of Joseph and the lesson that there are no little people, that each one of us is precious in your sight, that you redeemed us through the blood of your Son, and that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. God, let us live that abundant life through a yielded heart that's willing to suffer and wait on you in the suffering that we might again rejoice and smile. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.